to Buckeye Talk in an empty, literally empty, Value City Arena. Doug Maurice and Bill Landis. It's 11-21 Sunday night. Ohio State, several hours ago now, beat the number one team in the country in basketball. And we are here to do a basketball podcast because this team deserves a podcast, Bill Landis. I know you've done some basketball podcasts along the way. Mm-hmm. But I would like to jump in. This was my first game of the year for the basketball team. And I would like to jump in and say, and I wrote this, they're back. They're back. They're back. They're back. They're back. I had been critical of Chris Holtman at times early on. I wondered if he could recruit at the necessary level. Um, I, I didn't think Thad Mata should have been fired. But sitting here today watching the way this team played, watching the way the fans reacted to this team, uh, I want to do nothing but give big, wet, sloppy kisses <laughs> to Holtman, his assistants, and this entire team because they deserve it. Am I going too far? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think maybe a little bit. I don't. I mean, maybe not. The thing is, like, and maybe it's just from covering this team the last three years and seeing them lose inexplicable games and inexplicable fashion that like they're four and oh and they beat michigan state and that's awesome i think it's really good for holtman and really good for the program um and i wrote after the game on cleveland.com that like i feel like the expectations this season are starting to shift i don't think they totally have because there are still 14 big 10 games left they play maryland on thursday a shorthanded maryland down two players i believe two starters um they should win that game and then they go on the road next week are they able to go on the road the week after that, excuse me, and they play at Rutgers, at Northwestern, and then Minnesota and New York City. And I don't think like it's impossible that they're going to be four and four after that. What? And may, like, I just I no, don't know. I got, here's what I got on that on that okay. next four games: win, 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 win. Yeah, no, like I'm not like trying to rain on everyone's Harsh parade. Like, I think I think like everyone, anyone who wants to be really excited about what just happened should be. Um. Regardless of what happens moving forward, like this was a very huge moment for Ohio State basketball and Chris Holtman and what he's building here. I just don't think we're at the point already where, like, they're the Big Ten favorites. I don't know. Maybe they are. Maybe I'm, I could be totally wrong. And, like, this team could be the best team in the Big Ten. I have no idea. I'm just, like, trying to temper expectations based on past disappointing results. Not necessarily with this team, but, like, with the program in general. I don't know if they're, like, totally out from underneath the, um, the possibility of like totally laying an egg, and Chris Holtman like said that too. He said he said the words we could go in the tank. I don't know, which I thought was funny. And he's always done that after every game. He's always like, "Yeah, this is good, but it could be awful." Um, so yeah, it's good. I don't know. They're kind of back. They're kind of back. Here's what I want to do right now. I want to do this. <laughs> That's what I'm doing to Ohio State basketball. I am all in on this. I am totally in for a combination of reasons. One is the league is down and there's opportunity. Um, Two is, and here's the thing. We're going to talk about some stuff that's kind of hard to write. Tom Izzo just like out of nowhere took a swipe at Jaquan Lyle in his news (laughs) conference. Just like. Like, wasn't even really asked about it. It was just like, yeah, well, you know, they're good, but, like, uh, they were pretty good last year, but they had a player who wasn't very team-oriented, who scored a lot of points against us. And was like, what? What do you – so he just took a swipe at Jaquan Lyle. But the knucklehead quotient on this team 
is so much lower than last year and the last couple years. And, and I think we've said this publicly, so I'm not afraid to say it again. It's like the point of beating the number one team in the country is not to have an opportunity to go back and criticize people from a year ago. Mm. But Mark Loving, Trevor Thompson, and Jaquan Lyle were additions, were subtractions by addition. Wait. All the way around. They're better off not having them here. And the five guys who played the majority of the minutes in this game, and they didn't get much from the bench, but they didn't need much from the bench other than the banked-in three-pointer by Andrew Dockich. These, the, four, the five starters played between 27 and 35 minutes. Jay Sean Tate, Kata Bates-Diop, C.J. Jackson, Cam Williams, Caleb Wesson. Connected, solid team defense, mm-hmm. smart passes. The starters, at a, as a group, the starters had 11 assists and three turnovers. They got the ball to the best player. Bates Diop was 12 of 21. The other four starters combined shot 54% from the field. They all filled their roles. They all played in a way that like they know exactly who they are and what they can do. Wesson is not drawing double teams in the post yet, but he's made a smart pass. He scores sometimes if you don't double him. Cam Williams made a couple big threes. He made both his threes. C.J. Jackson ran the team very effectively. Jay Sean Tate does everything right. The five guys who played the most did everything right all game. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there was a game in the past two years for Ohio State where you would have watched a game and said the five guys who played the most all did everything right. There might have been one game. There was one game. I'm trying to think. I don't. You might be right. But it's like because it was always like, well, Lyle did something goofy, or Thompson did something goofy, or Loving did something goofy, or Cam Williams <clears throat> tried a bunch of jacked up some shots he shouldn't have tried. And this just felt like, and that's why I'm like super into it because I totally bought into this felt like. 2009. This felt like 2011. This felt like 2007. This felt like the best of those Thad Mata Buckeyes. And that's a very recent successful pass for all these fans here who've been frustrated the past couple seasons. And there was even, I, I, my whole column that is going to be up Monday morning is all about this. But there was a moment where the fans got really excited when Michigan State had the ball and there was like 10 seconds left on the shot clock and Ohio State had played good defense for 20 seconds and they got wound up about like, let's keep playing this good team defense. That's the kind of thing they used to do. They used to get fired up for like good team defense. You're making them work. And then it felt like the last couple of years, like that kind of thing didn't happen as much. It just felt like... You mean from the fans? From the fans, yeah, because yeah, like, yeah, yeah. B- but because the team didn't play that kind of connected team defense as much. That was a hallmark of the Mata era. Like, let's get a big stop and turn that into points. The, 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 the loudest I've ever seen this building, and I've been covering games here since 2005, 2006, is when they force a shot clock violation in a big game. That's what these fans love that's what they can yeah. do and they hadn't been able to do that the past couple of years because that just wasn't how those teams played as much yeah. and i felt that kind of energy today and it has to it, the building can't give this team energy the, because this building's not that kind of building i kind of thought it did today but i feel like it has to start with the players the players have to give the building like i feel like there are some places where and maybe we disagree i feel like there are some places where like Cameron indoors nuts no matter what. Mm-hmm. It's just you go in there, it's nuts. 
the, it's tiny. People are on top of you. Hinkle Fieldhouse, it's small. There's a vibe the second you walk in. I feel like this this place is so big, it's hard to have a vibe no yeah. matter what. But as soon as the team gives the fans something, they will take it and run with it. But they have to have a team to believe in, and they believed in these guys from the jump. Yeah, I thought, and maybe it's just the fact that like they, they haven't had a reason to be as, as revved up as they were on Sunday over the last like two and a half years, I guess. The D- D'Angelo Russell year... No, even then, there weren't many games. There, there weren't any games like this. There were he some. Was there great. Were, he was like he. People came to watch him. He was great. The team wasn't great, and the team wasn't actually super fun to watch outside of him. Um, this team's fun to watch, I think. There, and Kata Bates Diop is like becoming a super, not a superstar. Superstar is probably too strong of a word, but he's at the moment playing better than anyone else in the Big Ten. All Big Ten level caliber guy. He's the leading scorer, and he scored 32 tonight, right? Yep. Career so, high, right? So his career high, yeah. His career high was 27. He's done it twice this year. Um, what was the point I was trying to make? You, oh, no, I don't I don't disagree. I don't disagree with you at all that this place stinks. Um, no offense, empty building. Someone sent me a tweet, because I've said multiple times, like, this. it's not a unique idea. Like, this place is too big. It's not a real basketball arena, and I stand by that that's true. And then someone sent me a tweet that said, it's not too big now, is it? I was like, no, well, no, it is. It just said, like, when you get 18,000 people excited, it can get yeah. loud. When it's great, <laughs> it can be super great because you have 17 or 18,000 people all cheering together. Right. But, but it's, still, it's, it's usually it's, either great or not good. It's usually and it's usually not good. terrible, in my, in, in my opinion. And, and, and I think it's more what you said, like, that the fans kind of just, like, sit on their hands until you give them something to cheer about. And then when you give them something to cheer about, it's awesome. Um, but I thought today, at least for the first time since I've been covering the team, this is my third full season covering the team, that the fans, I think, from from the jump were pretty into it. And maybe they weren't supplying the team with energy and it was still the other way around. But I, like it was, it felt like a real basketball environment. Like It felt like a real basketball environment when they played Michigan and came back from 20 points down. But like just in the second half, because they were down by 20 in the first half and it was really, really quiet in here, um, it was not that way. It was It was... People came here hoping that this team was going to do something that it did, and I think we're like there was a buzz in the building before the game started, even because of that. And then the team delivered. This feels like a team. Again, I say this is someone who came to his first game today. Mm-hmm. Is this not a team that you can love? Like it feels like there's a this team is easy to love because there are a lot of try hard guys who are not out making boneheaded plays. I I feel like I, I mean, it's a, you can say whatever you want on a podcast, right? Uh Can you say whatever you want on a podcast? It's not, I'm not, am I not, I'm not slandering people. No, I'm just giving my opinion. Yeah. God, they needed to get Mark Loving and Jaquan Lyle out of here and Thompson to a lesser degree. Yeah. I think coaches always talk about energy givers and energy takers. Their two best players last year were energy takers. Mm-hmm. From teammates and from the crowd, it was very hard to consistently, for, I think, for fans to love those guys because they too often did boneheaded things or looked like they weren't trying or most of those two things. And they don't have any guys like that anymore. And it is such a difference. And, of course, it's a difference because those were two gigantic parts of this team for multiple years. 
and I know that there's a lot of, and we'll get into this. There's a lot of, you know, the people who, who feel like Thad failed the last couple of years, man, they just had a couple guys who just sucked the life out of this team and sucked the life out of this fan base. And they do not have any players like that on this roster. They do not. Top to bottom. You can root for this roster. You can appreciate this roster. And, and, and that was on display, I felt. Yeah. And I actually think like, for as good as Kate has been, like if there was a guy who was going to play that way, I think it could have been him, just because he's not a very, like, assertive person. Um, he's more talented than Lyle, or and and loving certainly, and like can kind of just go through the motions and still get you like fourteen and nine. Um, so maybe you don't notice it as much, but he's like lethargic's not the right word, but he's just like a very kind of low key dude that sometimes would play like very low energy and still have a decent game, but even he. And Chris Holman made note of it, like, after the game. He, he, he was very pleased with, like, how Kata seemed to be, like, appreciating the moment and what the team had accomplished, like, largely on his back. So I think even he, maybe more than anyone else of the guys who's been around a while, has, has really flipped the switch into, like, I can't just go through the motions anymore. Like, I have to back up my skill with, like, some, some want-to and some buy-in into the program. And I think when he does that, and Jay Shantate has always done it, when you have those two guys, you're too... Kate is not a senior, technically, but he's a fourth-year player. When you have those two guys doing that, it trickles down to the rest of the team. It's just that the, the guys who were older the last two and a half, three years weren't that way, and then it, and then the negativity trickled down to the rest of the team. And that is what, honestly, I feel like the most beloved team at the time that I covered this, have covered Ohio State basketball, beloved, I don't think it, it wasn't the Conley-Odin team, which was an unbelievable team. But I think the most beloved team was that was that team that two year stretch when Jared Sullinger was here, and it was the veteran guys around a star, and it was David Lighty and John Diebler and William Buford and Aaron Kraft around a star, and none of those guys are in the NBA. First, it was Evan Turner, then it was Jared Sullinger, an NBA talent, okay, a first round NBA talent. But people always like to talk about Thad Mata and the NBA guys he had. Those teams, David Lighty's not in the NBA, John Diebler's not in the NBA, William Buford's not in the NBA, Aaron Kraft's not in the NBA. Those were not NBA players. Those were very good college basketball players around a star. Mm-hmm. That's what this is. Jay Sean Tate's not going to play in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Cam Williams isn't going to play in the NBA. CJ Jackson's not going to play in the NBA. This, I don't know, Caleb Weston's young. Who knows? But this is a collection of hardworking, Good college basketball players around a star. And that, those were the teams that people loved the most. That's the team that was in that, whatever, that summer tournament this year. Oh, yeah. The, that was the, the ex- tournament. Yeah. That was the exact same team. And people loved it. People loved seeing those guys. But guess what? The reason those guys were in that tournament is because none of them are in the NBA. So Michigan State has NBA dudes all over the place. But this is how Ohio State wins. Honestly, I like the, the, uh, the Odin Conley thing was a one year wonder. And that was yeah. the team that got to the national championship game. But they went to a final four and they were the best team in the country. The year they lost in the Sweet 16, they were the best team in the country with one NBA player. And I'm missing Deshaun Thomas when I say this. Another great guy in there, but not an NBA player. One NBA player. They were the best team in college basketball with one NBA player. That's what this reminds me of. And that means that, yes, Chris Holtman 
is is going to recruit and they're going to get more guys and they need some more talent. I mean, they very well, if they play Michigan State in the Big Ten tournament, they might get their doors blown off. Mm-hmm. There's quite a talent differential there. And this pretty oh, apparent. Yeah. Michigan State did not play its best. But this is doable. This is what Ohio State's success looks like. It does not have to be four lottery picks. It doesn't have to be two lottery picks. You get a star and four guys on the court with him who know their roles. That's how, how Ohio State competes with the best teams in college basketball. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with all that. And I think I wasn't, and I'm not the only one, I don't think really anyone was sold on whether or not this was like a viable roster to do that. I think everyone sort of had an inkling that if Cato was healthy, he'd be pretty good. I'm not this good. I didn't think he'd be this good. I always wondered if he'd be an NBA player, um, and he's certainly on that path now. But the guy like C.J. Jackson is a lot better. Um, I think Jay Sean is like statistically kind of the same he's, as he's always been, but I think looks a little different. Certainly he's a ball handler, ball handler looks better. Andrew Dockich was a walk-on for fourth three years at Michigan, three or four years at Michigan, and like now looks like a kind of serviceable Big Ten point guard. Um, so the guys around Kata have certainly elevated their games to get the roster to the to what you're talking about. I think the difference, though, is, and I wasn't covering those teams, but like if Sullinger got hurt, if Sullinger couldn't play the rest of the year, that was still a pretty good team. Yeah, they had guys who could get their own shot. They, like, yeah. If this team loses Kata, like, I... I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that if this team loses Kata, they might not win again. I think it's like the margin for error is that thin. Yeah, I mean, like the, the Aaron Kraft, um, the Sean Thomas team made the Elite Eight, like after Sullinger was gone and after a lot of the other guys were gone. That was kind of a different team. But yeah, like as much as like there's not a, there, Aaron Kraft's not on this team. Sure. You know, yeah. so I mean, there are the only, there's not the only definition. It's not just are you an NBA player or not. I mean, like those were those guys. They had some guys who were extraordinary. I mean, John Diebler is as good of a three point shooter as the Big Ten's ever seen, mm-hmm. just because he's playing in Greece. You know, I mean, he's so so. I I want to delve into something, but I don't want to get bogged down in it. Even though I feel like I've been bogged down in it, and, and that's okay. But I think other people are bogged down in it too. And Tom Izzo was bogged down in it today. The, the the ghost of Thad Mata still inhabits this team. There were multiple questions asked of Chris Holtman after the game today about Thad Mata. He was asked if he's going to call Thad Mata this, about he's this. He's talked about Thad a lot, like to a surprising extent this year. Why? And how do we – when and how does everybody move past that is it just going to be there this entire season and why do you think it's so prevalent that i mean there are not many places where the former head coach is constantly referenced on a weekly basis yeah i don't it's it's weird because like that got fired that that's a fact but holtman seems to treat it as if like he replaced a legend who like went out on his own terms almost like he's He's always been very complimentary of what Thad built here. Like I said, has said his name several times. Said that he was said he said that he was going to call Thad this week, and, and implied that the two talk at least like fairly frequently enough enough that Holtman can call him this week. I don't know if I buy that. Yeah, he might have just said it, and maybe that maybe that's all this is. Maybe he's just saying it and like saying what he thinks people want to hear. But um, the transition from Thad Mata to Chris Holtman, I think, was not the traditional guy gets fired transition. It was very. 
and maybe it was the timing of things. It was very weird, but um, I don't think it'll last forever. I don't. I don't even know if it'll last beyond this year because the reason it's so prevalent now, I think, is that Kata is so good, and Kata was brought here by Thad, and Jay Sean Tate is, is good, and Jay Sean Tate was brought here by Thad, and there are other guys on the roster. Look, the ninety percent of the roster was recruited by Thad. Seventy-seven of the eighty points scored in this game were scored by guys recruited by Thad. Everything yeah. except. Andrew Dockage's 30-foot banked-in three-pointer. Right. Because Tate, Diop, C.J. Jackson, Kim Williams, Micah Potter all played for Thad. Andre Wesson all played for Thad. And then Caleb Wesson, who's in the starting lineup, was recruited by Thad, came here to play. Caleb Wesson was going to come to Ohio State no matter he who signed, he was. He signed in but November and Thad got fired in June. So. Yeah, so, I mean, he's a Thad guy. Yeah. He just didn't leave. But, yeah, I mean, this is a – but is it unfair to Chris Holtman how much – I mean, I think Chris Holtman's trying to be the good soldier and maybe trying to do a smart thing PR-wise. Is it unfair for him to have to constantly talk about Thad Mata? Or is it, it when, you, when you're playing all his guys, is that just the way it is? No, I think that's kind of just the way it is. It is it's unique. I think It's unique. Like, I don't know. I don't follow Indiana basketball all that closely, but I, don't, I would imagine that Archie Miller like, has not said the name Tom Crean this year. Um, but Tom Crean also wasn't a legendary Indiana coach. Like we're talking about replacing the best coach in the history of the program. So I, I just think like it's inevitable that that guy's going to hang over the program for a while. So part of it's probably Holtman being a nice guy and, and saying the things that he thinks need to be said. But it's also just like the uniqueness of this situation that like regardless of what happened this year, Thad was going to hang over the season. So I'm going to ask. <laughs> I feel like I've contributed to it. Like I was, I was hanging on to Thad pretty hard early on, and I'm trying, I'm trying to cut the cord a little bit. And I tried to cut the cord in my column, um, <laughs> and buy in on Chris Holtman because it is what it is. Stuff happens. Um, Gene Smith has cut the cord. I talked to Gene one on one after the game, and um, while Tom Izzo was basically saying, "Well, you know, you get Kata Bates Diop back healthy, and you get." Jaquan Lyle off the roster and and a lot of, you know, of course you're going to have a good team. That was basically what he said. He basically said Thad probably would be doing this too. Um, Gene is not saying that. Gene is the person who dismissed Thad Mata, who hired Chris Holtman. He is not saying that. He went into great detail with me, more so than I put in the column about all the things that are better this year. All the little things. Defensive, team defense. Um, Lack of fewer turnovers, um, better spacing on the floor, all the little details of a basketball team that he feels like have taken a substantial step forward, that it's not just that the players are the same. It feels like he feels that the team is being coached better, and that's clear that he was making that point. But that's we'll weigh in on that. They're 13-4. and four. They got blown out by Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. Blew a game that was in hand against Butler. Mm-hmm. Also lost to Clemson in North Carolina. Probably should have won the Clemson game, too. If Thad Mata... And so tell me, first of all, how you feel like fans were viewing this team before Sunday's win. And then how they would have been viewing this team with the same record. Everything was the same, except Thad Mata was still here. Uh, they, I think fans largely came into the season with the bar set very low. So they weren't expecting anything crazy. So getting blown out by Carolina was expected, or getting blown out by Gonzaga was expected. Um, I think there was some frustration with blowing the game against Butler, but from what I could tell, that frustration was pointed like more towards Thad 
and his players who blew the Butler game than it was towards Chris Holtman, who frankly didn't have his team ready to handle that kind of moment where they had a double-digit lead late and then couldn't hold on to it against a team that was better than them, but they just weren't poised enough to win it. And that was a weird game for Holtman, too. So maybe you're willing to give him a little bit of a pass on that because of that. Um, little frustration with Clemson, but again, understood because this is supposed to be a rebuilding year. I think, like, kind of actually happy to see the progress that was made against Carolina, and I think there was some sentiment that if Cada didn't have two fouls early, that would have at least been a closer game and, and a real mark of progress. And then the Big Ten results were the Big Ten results. At Wisconsin was a pretty emphatic win, and I think people started maybe to change their minds a little bit then. But it was always like any anything that was happening before Sunday, anything good that was happening with this team was just like bonus. And Holt, I don't think Holtman, will, and he shouldn't have been, but he was never like going to have his feet held to the fire over anything. He was never really going to be overly criticized. Like as long as the team played hard, and even when they lost to Gonzaga, they still played hard. They were just at a serious talent disadvantage. Um, so as long as the team was playing hard, Holtman was going to skate by. Not skate by. That's not the right way to say it. But he was he was going to get by without people like criticizing him. But I think it's one hundred percent reasonable. I think this team still could have been twelve and four. With all the same results, all the same wins, all the same losses, with Thad Mata as coach, now maybe they would have gotten there in a different way. Maybe they wouldn't have shot whatever they shot from three-point range in Madison, but I think they still could have won all those games because, frankly, they're the better team in all those games. With the exception of Michigan, they were the better team in all those games. But if that team under Thad was 12-4 and four and lost the way they lost to Butler and lost the way they lost to Clemson, and got another lopsided loss to Gonzaga and a decently lopsided loss to North Carolina, people would have been upset. And people would, like, people would, I, I, th- and it, I think it's just the fact that people were, like, fed up with Thad to be, and, like, he couldn't do anything. Short of, like, winning the Big Ten, I don't think there's anything Thad could have done with a large percentage of the fan base to get himself back in a position where people were excited about him running the program anymore. Poor Thad, man. Yeah. Okay. I don't want to dwell on the past. Two questions. They're related. The bench against Michigan State played 48 minutes, shot one of five from the field. The only basket was the Dan, the Andrew Dockett's 30-foot banked-in three-pointer. Can Ohio State compete at the top of the Big Ten with this bench? Um, I mean, yeah, they did. All right. Uh, yeah, I think like so. Like long-term, like, like, like long-term. Four- 14 games left. Do they need who do, do they who do they need more from off the bench? And or or can they just really 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 lean on these five starters? I think they need some more from Micah Potter. What he, what Micah played 4 minutes? 4 minutes. No shots. And I don't know, he's four had, fouls in 4 minutes. Yeah, he had foul trouble. He's had a very strange season. He's dealt with some injuries as far as I know, he's healthy. Um that's not a fact, but as, as far as he seems to be moving around fine, he's not having a great year. Um, and to be honest, I'm not totally sure how he fits into what Holtman wants. It's not that I think Holtman dislikes him. I think that that's not the case at all. But I just don't know like what Micah Potter is in Chris Holtman's system just yet. But while he's struggling a little bit and, and while Holtman doesn't seem totally confident in having him out there, um, Caleb Wesson is your only center, and your backup center is Kata Bates Diop. So anything to avoid like putting Kata at the five, as much as he's playing at the five, I think would help Ohio State. And plus, Potter can shoot the three. He's not doing it all that well, well this year, but I think a guy his size who can shoot the three would, would obviously give them a lift. Because without that, they don't really have anybody on the bench who's going to score. Um, 
Andre Wesson is defense first. Kyle Young is defense and rebounding. Musa Jallo is defense and rebounding. Andrew Dockich moves the ball, but he is like afraid to shoot. And Chris Holman said twice this week that Andrew Dockich drives him a little crazy, and I think it's he's had fast break layups where he like jumps at the rim last second, decides he doesn't want to shoot it, and like turns around midair and hopes someone's behind him, and it's worked out so far. But I don't think it's always going to be that way. I don't know why Andrew Dockich is afraid to shoot. Maybe his bank three will change that. Um, but they don't have an offensive punch off the bench at all, especially now that Cam Williams is in the starting lineup and Musa Jello is on the bench. So I don't know if, if having zero scoring threat off the bench is sustainable long-term. Their bench players are averaging coming into today, and all these averages went down because nobody scored other than Dockage. Coming in, Musa Jello was averaging 3.7. Andrew Dockage was averaging 3. Micah Potter, 4.2. Andre Wesson, 2.3. Kyle Young, 2.1. They don't have anybody on the bench averaging more than five points per game. Yeah. They're going to need somebody to, to develop there. That's, that's going to bite them, I think. Um, we did a video about whether these guys can win the Big Ten. But I think the bigger question is, are they going to make the NCAA tournament? What was your prediction before the season for their record and tournament hopes? I had them at 18 wins. I had him in 18 wins, uh, I think the same – let me look real quick. I had him in 18 wins overall. So that would have been like 18, 18 and 13. 13. And I think I had him at 8 and 10 in Big Ten play. 8 and 10 in Big Ten play, and they're off to a 4-0 start. Right. That was not – and I did not have them in the NCAA tournament. And my thinking was that – like, and I thought like 18 and 13 would have been a pretty good record for Chris Holman in his first year. But that 18 and 13, in my mind, like included maybe this win or a win similar to it but then also some losses in the non-conference games against some of those worst teams or like a loss to Rutgers or something like that that would leave you out of the NCAA tournament. So just guessing right now, they're 4-0 in the Big Ten. If you had to guess, what, are they, what's their, what do they need to go in the Big Ten to make the tournament, taking out the Big Ten tournament? Like would 10-8 and 8 get in, or is that that would be 19-12 and 12 going into the Big Ten tournament if they finished 10-8? and 8. Uh, I think uh, I somebody asked me that the other day. I did a mailbag on Cleveland.com, and I think I said eleven. And I I probably I'll I can come down a game from eleven with this win. Okay. So I think ten and eight would probably get them. And the problem, like the Big Ten, is not great. The Big Ten is actually like kind of average. I said in the video we shot that at the moment, half of the league is projected to finish one hundredth or worse in RPI. It's actually one hundred and fifteenth or worse. Um. Some teams are dealing. Some teams people thought were going to be good. Maryland and Minnesota are dealing with injury issues. Um, Wisconsin, I think, has taken a little more of a dip than people thought they would. Iowa is not as good as people thought they would be. Um, Nebraska, or Rutgers is, I think, is a little improved, but still not on not on the level that beating Rutgers really matters. Um, so the league is down, and it could only be what you could pencil in the Big Ten for six or seven bids every year in the tournament. Maybe sometimes I think they got eight once or twice, right? I think they might only be a four or five bid league this year, so maybe you do have to get to eleven or twelve wins because of that. But I would feel pretty good at ten and eight with a win over Michigan State. Okay, so if you think they're going to get in at ten and eight, they're four and zero, so they'd only have to go six and eight the rest of the year. And then again, you can help or hurt yourself in the Big Ten tournament. Mm-hmm. Last year they lost in the first round to Rutgers in a playing game. That would not help. Um, <laughs> if they need to go six and eight. To finish at 10, you say 10 and 10 or 11 wins to get in. Yeah. If you, what's your prediction for their Big Ten record right now as they stand 4 0? 
looking uh, at what they have left, knowing how this league is playing. You've made this point. They're done with Michigan State. They only play Purdue once. Yeah. I think uh, I think they might actually get to 12 wins. I think they can get to 12. So that's they have 14 games left. That's 8 and – no, I can't do math. That'd be 8 and 6 the rest of the eight way? 8 and 6 the rest of the way. But yeah. like it, it's so eight, but looking at their schedule, like eleven and three the rest of the way is not like totally impossible. Is that's it? what that's what if you look at Ken Palm and I reference Ken Palm a lot. It's just the guy who's really smart plugs all these numbers into a thing and it spits out efficiency ratings. And they do a projected record. And at the moment, the rest of the year, he has Ohio State projected to lose three more games at Purdue, at Penn State, and at Michigan. And we know that they're capable of beating Michigan. They already did it. So, no, it's not. In the final 14 games to, to go 11-3, and three, it's certainly on the table. And part of that is because the Big Ten is bad, like we said. But part of that is, too, this team is a lot better than any of us thought it would be. Like, way better. It's kind of astonishing how much better they are. All right, so that's um, that's the reaction here from an empty. See if, if we shout, hello. If you hear that Thad's, echo, Thad's voice come back. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Eighty sixty four. Michigan State is now fifteen and two, three and one in Big Ten play. Ohio State's now thirteen and four, four and zero in Big Ten play. Next game is home Thursday against Maryland. Mm-hmm. Bill Landis will be here. Um, this is interesting. This is going to be fun. And I think beyond – something certainly came into play the last several years with Ohio State basketball where obviously the wins and losses matter most and whether you're going to make the tournament and whether you're competing night to night. Um, but last year's team did compete night to night, and Izzo brought that up again. That They had a lot yeah. of games last year they could have won and didn't win. I think it was – I just wrote it down the other day. I think it was something like – Eight losses by six points or fewer. I think that's what it was. They had that one game against Purdue. Purdue was really good last year. They absolutely blew that game if against Trevor Purdue. Trevor Thompson right? would have made free throws. They would have won. Yeah. So, so they did compete last year. Like this, they 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 weren't a great team last year. Obviously, they finished eleventh in the Big Ten or whatever they did. But they competed most nights. But people didn't like them. It's because they they competed right up until the point where they shot themselves in the foot. Yeah, it was the way it was. It wasn't just that they lost close games; it was how they lost close games, like totally unforced errors, throwing the ball into the stands, like looking for like three minute spurts a couple times during a game, like you didn't know how to play basketball. And that's very frustrating to people. And I think as much as beating number one is a huge deal, um, and being four zero in the Big Ten is a huge deal, if you watched Ohio State basketball on Sunday. They just played like a team that you wanted to root for. Mm-hmm. And I think that as much as anything is why I wrote that Ohio State's back. Because that's the Ohio State that I've covered for the last decade, is that kind of team. Like, with really good players. But but again, the point I already made before, it's not about having NBA guys at every spot. It's about having really smart, connecting college basketball players working together in a system where you can win games and beat elite teams, and that's what they did at their best for an eight-year stretch under Thad, and that's what they looked like on Sunday under Chris Holman. And I think like this will be something worth diving into much more in the future. 
But I think part, like a major part of the reason why Thad lost his job is because he wasn't recruiting well. And I think part of the reason he wasn't recruiting well is because Ohio State was not a very enticing program for players to come play to, come play for. Um, they're playing a brand of basketball at the moment that I think is going to attract some pretty good players. You could recruit to this. Yeah. You could recruit. They needed something like if they're anybody they're trying to sell on this program right now, you point to Sunday. Yeah. But again, that's that's crowd, that's result, that's emotion, that style of play, that's all that stuff. So Yeah. All right. He's Bill Landis. He is our Buckeye basketball expert. I'm just a guy who shows up every now and then. You can follow us on Twitter at BillLandis25, at Doug Maurice. We will be back uh, Wednesday morning with another uh, weekly Ohio State football podcast answering your questions. Um, but but we have had said we'd try to drop in some of these weekend podcasts as warranted on recruiting and basketball and that kind of stuff. And uh, if they're going to keep doing this, they're going to warrant more and more. I know Bill's been doing some mailbags and that kind of thing, but... But, man, that was fun. I'm in, baby. We might even give the basketball team a two-hour Wednesday podcast. Wow. Maybe not. That's a lot of basketball talk. I could do it. How much could I talk about David Lighty if we did that? I think, like, 40 minutes of the two hours. Then I'm in. Yeah. All right. He's Bill. I'm Doug. Thanks to you guys for listening. And that was Buckeye Talk.